You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 62. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And... Uh, you tried it on an Apple Watch. I, I really you, did. You had one in your in the meat space on your meat wrist. Yeah. So uh, on this past Sunday, I, I went over to the Apple Store and uh, just kind of wanted to check out the other bands and sizes. And there you know, there's a million videos on YouTube of this you're, exact thing. You're so. totally burying the lead. How was the whole experience? <laughs> did, did you call and you made your appointment? Were I they, didn't have were they to nice? call. You just touch a few buttons on the app, and then you. Oh, so you so from the from your iPhone, yeah, you get to make an appointment for your Apple Watch try on session. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You pick a time, and then you just show up, and uh, um, they let Shelby try it on too. She just tagged along, and uh, I was just kind of curious, like you know, would that's a benefit it, of being legally married. Like yeah, she's an extension of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like, would it look like ridiculously huge or like, you know, it's so impossible to tell from the pictures cause they're all zoomed in computer renders. Right. And when somebody puts one on, you're like, I don't, are you a big guy? Or are you a little guy? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, it's just a close up of your wrist. Which I mean, I, I follow the, the Apple subreddit and it's kind of ridiculous cause people are like, my wrist is 160 millimeters and here's, uh-huh. here's what the 42 looked like. I, I knew that this was coming <laughs> when people started, uh, making little mock-ups of the iPhone 6. Yeah, you could like, print them out and cut them out and wrap yeah. them around your arm. Yeah, it was only, from there, it was just going to be like, oh, now people are going to be 3D printing mock-ups. <laughs> like, which band will be right for me? Yeah. Um, I was kind of surprised how little I liked any of the, quote, fancier bands. So there's you the... You mean like the metal and leather ones? Yeah, like the Milanese loop. <laughs> <laughs> so you want fluorastomer? Which trying to put that on, and I suppose it's something you can learn. We'll talk about intuitive interfaces later. But um, I felt like kind of an idiot, like trying to like loop this thing around and hug it to my belly while I pull on it. And it really, yeah, you feel handicapped when you're trying to um, put on something one-handed. Okay, so I'm looking at a picture of this. Is it is it a magnet? How's the closure? Yeah, work? yeah. It, it, oh, I, okay. So it it like doubles back on itself, almost like a like yeah, strap on a backpack. Exactly. Yeah. And it was just kind of awkward. <laughs> and you know, it it looks like mithril or <laughs> like chainmail. It, it really does. And uh, in person, it's way tinier. And it just I don't know. On my wrist, I was like, "This is not Mike Edwards." <laughs> but <laughs> which, which watch band says Michael Edwards? <laughs> which Apple Watch band are you? Um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have much to say, and there's a million videos of people that did this that can gush or be impressed. The more important thing I wanted to talk about was the software, because um, the actual ones you tried on were just like a demo loop, but they had these other ones embedded into displays, and you could go and just play with the UI. Oh, like mounted to a charger? Yeah, so you could just play with the software. And I was kind of surprised, because I kind of had the impression from all the reviews that it was like sluggish. And none of it was sluggish. And I think what I figured out is it's third-party apps that are sluggish. Well, and this is something you I didn't understand about the Apple Watch, that Apple apps are actually running on the watch, I guess. Yeah. And then third-party apps have to like project to the watch. 
Is that yeah, right? they have to talk to the phone very heavily right now, and supposedly that's going to change by the fall. But again, we've had this discussion before. Like, what is is your? Are you going to run Instagram on your watch? And like, no, no photo thing <laughs> should happen on a watch size screen. Just period. No matter, no Instagram, but no these Pinterest. postage stamps. <laughs> so that, but it's. I think that's interesting because it's kind of like how. Uh, Originally, no third-party browser could use the full rendering power on yeah. the iPhone. Like Safari could use it, but like Chrome and then later Firefox were like, eh, you can have like most of the rendering engine. Yeah, they couldn't implement their own engine, and for security reasons, they didn't give access to the full engine to yeah. third parties. Security browsers. reasons. So, so you felt like it was zippy and. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't notice any sluggishness. Um, granted, it was simulating some of any network things. So, oh, really? Yeah, so there was no like call out. Yeah, I mean, you could send a message to some fic- fictional person, but it was probably some idealized version. <laughs> of, I mean, I did don't. You, did you send your heartbeat to anyone? <laughs> to into the ether. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be doing that every day, all day, yes. just heartbeats all over the place. Um, but uh, just thinking about it, so I was swiping around this interface, and it's like when you're on the watch face, swiping up is your glances, and swiping down is your notifications. But nowhere else, which it presumably is because it's such a tiny screen that you're going to accidentally swipe from the edges all the time, so they don't want... Oh, because if, if you swipe onto the edge that's different from being in the middle and then swiping up across the edge yeah so in most apps you don't get to your glances by swiping right you got to go back to the watch which is really the home is actually the watch face more so than the tiny icons um but i just it you know it just brought back this idea because everyone's always like it's intuitive it's easy about (laughs) you know whatever software you're talking about and I just kind of want to rant again about how that's never true and, and interfaces are always learned. And what do we mean? Like, is there a value to the word intuitive? Because it just seems like it's a constantly abused. Uh, I would say the val- if there is value in the word intuitive, it's probably in something is intuitive if it's based on like shared preconceived notions. Like, if you have if you design like a container of some kind and you put a handle on it that looks exactly like a drawer handle like people will probably assume like oh you pull on yeah. it cuz it looks like a drawer handle and i know how a drawer handle works so but it you still you had to learn how a drawer handle works yeah so this the drawer wasn't intuitive the new things intuitive cuz you're basing it on something you already know or i was trying to think of like i i don't think i would describe even forks and spoons as intuitive it's totally learned <laughs> Yes, and uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, I, maybe a door without a handle that has a flat surface that you're clearly supposed to put your hand on, and the label push. <laughs> maybe in that situation, <laughs> but but words can words be intuitive? Ever you had to learn language? I mean, I know yeah. we're we're r- really ripping this to shreds here, but <laughs> I think this is why like intuitive only works if you're basing it on like a shared foundation yeah. like what's intuitive to americans in the 21st century might not be intuitive to you know chinese people in the 16th century yeah. like it's they could learn it but it's not intuitive because they don't have the previous shared understanding yeah. and so they don't have the apple watch with all these touch interfaces I think the disconnect where I can't like yeah I agree that like things with our hands and touching would 
lean towards intuitive in general. The disconnect is once you're in software land, whatever natural assumptions we make are not necessarily going to be part of that platform. And so um, I've been playing with the Microsoft Surface recently in Windows 8. And, uh, I like not- them charms. <laughs> <laughs> and there's all these things from swiping in from the side. And if you're just you know a, a slightly smart ape swiping at this thing, before you've done it a hundred times and you get used to where everything is, you cannot predict what's going to happen. No. Like, it's not obvious that when I swipe down and keep going down, I'm quitting an app. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing about our previous computer experience implies that that's how you... In fact, you could even argue the opposite. Because, like, on, I think, WebOS and iOS, when you wanted to, like, throw away an app, you do it up. Yeah. And then on Android, it's, like, to the right. Like, you open the thing... or. To the left. I don't know. I never quit an app. <laughs> <laughs> Who quits apps? Right. But yeah, I mean, it's so you could even argue like, yeah, we have that gesture and it's different. So even if you're going on the shared preconceived understandings, like yeah. it doesn't match that. Well, already because like a, a big thing in Android and iOS right now is most of the browsers you swipe from the left side, you'll go back a page. Like from Which the edge. I, I hate terribly. Yeah. I hate that. Um, Nothing should ever make me go back aside from pushing the back button. I don't mind on my phone, on my computer, I never want side to side because no, I'm almost yeah. never intentionally scrolling side to side. Yeah, it's always you're going up and down, but it's kind of like in a tiny little slant. Yeah. Well, in Windows 8, if you swipe in from the left edge, you are multitasking, you're switching to the previous app. Oh, always. Because they're, they're full screen. Yeah. Metro, or sorry, modern apps. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just like intuitively, I'm <laughs> I'm often like if say the surface is in laptop mode on a table, I kind of reach my arm forward and rest my arm and just use my thumb to casually scroll. Right. Yeah. Because it's on little stand and yeah. like laptopy mode. And while I'm in that mode, I'm used to oh, I'm using a touch browser. I'm used to swiping from the side to go back. Ah, because of what I do on iOS, and then I'm in a different app, and I'm like, "What just happened?" And that's where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I have to learn this because it's not intuitive because I don't yeah. have predictable results." So okay, so could one definition of intuitive be uh, that you're able to figure like you a thing happens, you do a thing, like you swipe with your thumb, that generates some kind of result, and then you understand what happened and can recreate it. Yeah. So it's still learned, but the point is like it's learnable. Like no one has to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the definitions do center around easy to learn as being kind of the operative phrase. Um, but I think when people claim their interface is intuitive, they basically mean you don't have to learn anything. Right. And that's where I'm like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Even for something as simple as it's just a swipe, I think um, some of the easiest and most obvious things things about touch interfaces namely scrolling by pushing your finger on the screen right and then maybe pinch to zoom even those i have a hard time defending as and maybe the maybe the push to scroll is, think, is yeah. like the most defensively intuitive yes. pinch to zoom you kind of have to be told though yeah there, there <laughs> not only is there no good way you would just guess that but the, what is the physical allegory for that <laughs> like yeah when have you ever like been like oh this map is not big yeah, enough just, on paper i'm just, just grab going to the corners and, and, yeah that's that's not uh that's not how the world works it's actually the opposite of how the world works like 
any other time you would have to either use some kind of magnifying device like a magnifying glass or physically bring it closer to your <laughs> face. What if like to be intuitive you would pinch to zoom and it would just like tear up the interface. <laughs> I rip. ripped the maps. <laughs> so yeah. I think the important thing is which watch band did you decide on? Oh, I'm just getting a, a white sport. Those are the fluorastomer ones? <laughs> yeah, unapologetically fancy rubber. <laughs> yeah, I actually heard from, uh, oh man, it might have been Accidental Tech Podcast. I don't know. Somebody was talking about how like they had been ripping on the use of fluorastomer <laughs> over the use of the word plastic. Yeah. And they were like, oh, and then I tried it on. And I was like... <laughs> The experience. <laughs> that's the thing. There's part of me that just wants to be like, oh my God, Apple, 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 Apple fanboy, Apple <laughs> fanboy is happening. But then there's the other part of me that's just like, well, you know, when I think of aluminum, I think of like aluminum foil, right? You know, crappy, yeah. rips easy. But then like, you know, a MacBook is like this beautiful machined aluminum, more like an airplane would be. Yeah. So it's, I kind of understand the marketing side of like, we don't want to call it plastic because then you're going to think of the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, like, did you remember when the, when the Surface came out with its kickstand, they described when you close it as a car door. Yeah, did you know that there so are... Let's, I can make a sample of this right now. Are we going to do this? Okay. A live clicking sound. Yeah, here's your car door. That was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I am now... It's not bad. I'm positive that that kickstand is now shut. <laughs> There's no doubt in my... Even if I could not see it, I would know intuitively... <laughs> <laughs> that it had closed. And you know, there there are actually engineers that work for car companies that change the way the hinge and the closing mechanism on the door work because you know, 40, 50 years ago when a car was made entirely out of stainless steel and it weighed six tons, when you shut the door, it just naturally yeah, it made like, like a like a boom, you know? And then <laughs> And then now that car doors are hollow, they're made of plastic. Yeah, they're meant to crumple in certain ways on purpose. Yeah, so that you don't crumple in certain (laughs) ways by accident. (laughs) Like this, they had to find these really creative ways to create like little air pockets and parts of the door that would intentionally uh, connect when the door shuts so that it makes a noise that makes the door sound heavier. And I mean, this is like, I try really hard not to slam car doors. Partially because I don't want to hurt the door and partially because I crushed my fingers in car doors a lot as a kid. (laughs) So like now that that sound is like a signal for me. Like if I shut the door and it goes like click, I'm like, oh, it's not really shut. The latch connected, but it's not really shut. Yeah. And then, you know, by that point you're in the car and then you open it and you grab it and do the like, like slam it shut. So it's like these these things are really dumb, but they're we're really affected by them. Yeah. It's just a deep monkey part of the brain yeah it's just it takes a while for the 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 marketing bullshit to separate from the oh they actually did have attention to detail and did something good right and like sometimes the marketing in both situations sounds identical it's like it sounds like a car door (laughs) but then you're like oh it actually is a good design yeah satisfying (laughs) so the uh i think it's interesting with the apple watch coming out right now and with windows 10 getting ready to make a bunch of changes to how their crazy side gestures work because the Ubuntu phone is now officially available through like some crazy dance you got to do to the, yeah. the <laughs> Linux gods. Um, you have to go through a Zelda trading quest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you have to trade up to it. You cannot just get like one in a store. 
Um, but I think it, cause they have a lot of, a lot, their whole UI is based on like, if you swipe in from the right, this happens. If you swipe in from the left, this other thing happens. Now, I don't know if you've gotten to play with it. Are those things that can only be done with side gestures or yes. are they, okay, it, then I got a problem. Because yeah, I, I haven't played with one, but I'm remembering to, I watched a yeah. lot of like videos and, and stuff th- from their development logs because I was really fascinated by this idea of like a, Pure Linux phone. Yeah. My beef with that is I love keyboard shortcuts, and side gestures to me are the equivalent level of abstraction as keyboard shortcuts. Yes. They should not be the only way to accomplish something. Like any, anything yeah. I can do with a keyboard shortcut, I can do with the mouse visually in OS X if I need to. Right. Yeah, I think the reason they went that direction was to limit the amount of on-screen buttons. And also, I don't think they have any bones about, like, someone's going to have to tell you how to do this. But then if it's consistent, like, say the the left swipe, swiping in from the left, replaces uh, the hamburger menu. Like, that's how you get to extra settings yeah. and extra things. If it always, all, it needs to always do that. But now if you're a Windows 8 user, your, your mind's just fucked because yeah. you have a completely different paradigm going on. Yeah, and this this uh, is, like... I mean, when I first started using a Mac recently, or, well, not recently, close to two and a half years ago now, but, like, when I first started using a Mac full-time, it did take me a little while, but now, because I use a Windows machine for so long, if I sit down at a Windows machine, I'm like, okay, I'm at a Windows machine. Yeah. Kind of like for you, like, when you pick up a guitar, you know it's not a banjo, I assume. It's the other way that gets me. I play a banjo just like a guitar. (laughs) I play a banjo yeah. just like a harp. But even like when I've been trying to get used to the surface we have at work, it's been frustrating, but I have that, oh, you just need to learn it. It's right. like I've never had a touch Windows device and like day to day tried to use it actively. Yeah, and I mean the the little bit that I've played with the surface, the thing that actually felt like the most uh unnatural is like the because it's this screen is is a beautiful screen it's very high res which means some of the touch targets are really tiny yeah in <laughs> desktop windows it's bad yeah so when you're in desktop mode you're like oh i want to close this window and then you you can feel you're like do i reach for the trackpad do i reach for the keyboard yeah, do yeah, I reach for the screen? <laughs> yeah you're like i don't i don't the button looks too small on the screen i don't know where to go <laughs> And then by that point, it's like, well, if I, if there was one way or like one way that was obviously the best way, like I have never file quit a program on a Mac, maybe ever. Yeah. Because command Q. Yeah. It's like, boom, it's fast. Yeah. My hands are already on the keyboard. Well, and guess like, you know, Windows Q does not quit. It searches. Really? It's a search all. So I was trying to like learn all the the Windowsy like because I didn't install. Have I been spelling search wrong? Is there a Q in My there? My guess is query is the only guess I got that it's okay. No, that's that's better than what I was coming yeah, up with. And it's probably I mean I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's oh it's things you can do with only your left hand and don't have to stretch really far. So it's like yeah. there's a whole lot of those shortcuts it, are on, on the left side of the keyboard. On Windows eight, is it still Alt F four to quit? Because that's what it was back in the day. Yeah, though I find most apps will c- let you control W a window away. Really? Yeah. Huh. You'd think? Maybe not most. Maybe that's generous. But yeah. all the ones <laughs> I use. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I really didn't get big into keyboard shortcuts until I switched to a POSIX-based system. Yeah. So I really know a lot of Windows <laughs> keyboard shortcuts. I mean, I know like copy and paste and cut yeah. and... 
new is usually control N. Well, I mean, and I've been trying to be measured in my criticism of Windows, but one thing that I think is very confusing is you have two task switching paradigms. So there's Windows tab and there's Alt tab. Oh, they're still doing that? Yeah. Because that got added in Vista. Yeah. And I don't get why there's two that are very similar and have a lot of overlap but are not the same. Right. And it's just like, why both? This is a case of not yeah, why I mean, not both, if, but why both. On OS ten, you have the, oh, God, what, it used to be called Expose. What's it called now? When you Mission like, Control. Is that it when you have, you can see each of your windows like graphically? Yeah. Okay. So there's that, but that's done from a touch gesture. Yeah. There is a keyboard gesture, but I really doubt anyone uses it because when you're in this view, you kind of are expected to select the window with the mouse. So to start it with a keyboard gesture and then use the mouse to select is dumb when you could just get there with a the mouse gesture. Yeah. And then there's alt or command tab, I guess, which gives you the familiar here's the icon for that app, not mm-hmm. the contents of the app. And I prefer the explodey Really, I was just going to ask, do you use the mission control a lot? I, yes, surprisingly, because I think when I'm switching between things, the last thing I was doing was my hand was on the trackpad. So it just made, like, my hand's already there. So yeah. I just three fingers up, and then I grab the other one. I, I command tab constantly. That's Yeah, and I, then, I would say probably 9 out of 10 are mission control. Yeah. Because then I command tab, and then if there's multiple windows, my hands are already up there for command tilde to or command tick to do like window switching within the same app. Well, I just learned something. Yeah, did not know that that was a thing. That is super useful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why uh, can't these? Just it's not intuitive. It's not. <laughs> it's learned. Okay, I guess that's. I don't know if we're saying anything new anymore. Just be careful that what you're describing as intuitive isn't something that you've just learned and practiced a lot, so it feels second nature. So you're gonna? Are you gonna do a YouTube video of your Apple Watch review? I really doubt it. I really doubt it too. <laughs> but I just wanted to set it in stone. <laughs> so if later you're like, "Oh, it's so cool! I think I'm gonna do a YouTube video," I'll be like, "Ah, you said you weren't gonna do this." <laughs> I didn't promise not to. I'm, I, that's how I took it. Okay, that's how the listeners took it. It was intuitively a promise. <laughs> So this next topic I'm kind of excited about. I think it'll be really fun thought experiment. It's this thing called Roko's Basilisk. And so had you heard of this? I know we talked about it the other I, day. I so. had not heard of this before you told me about it. And then I was the Wikipedia article is like really detailed. Yeah. It's, it's a really well it's it's I don't think it is Wikipedia, is it Wikimedia? It's rationalwiki.org. That. They all look the same. Yeah, they use the same software. But it, it's it's a really detailed article. I I would encourage everyone to like block out the 15 minutes and actually read this in depth. Like don't have the TV on, don't be yeah. talking to somebody because it's it's really fascinating and then there's like all this meta nonsense going on around it. But before we get to that, explain what this is. So, Roko's Basilisk is a proposition that says an all-powerful artificial intelligence from the future may retroactively punish those who did not assist in bringing about its existence. So you're being blackmailed from the future, from an AI that doesn't exist yet, into helping it exist. Yes. And the, the, the mechanism of the blackmail is that this AI will torture you. And even if you die, it'll create your consciousness 
from its presumably vast reserves of computational power and ability to dig through history, and it will torture a conscious version of you. <laughs> and even if you're like, well, I'll be dead, but you'll kind of be alive at the same time because your mind will exist. Right. And that this is where this immediately started to turn into like crazy philosophy nonsense for me because like I didn't realize that there's an entire school of thought that any version of you that's indistinguishable from you is functionally you. So a perfect copy of your like neural pathways that behaves and acts exactly the way you would is you, which is what a lot of religions would probably call like the soul. Yeah. Cause it's separate from you and your body, but it still functionally behaves as you, which means even if you're an atheist, if you believe in this version of how the mind works, that's kind mm-hmm. of like, more threatening than a soul because we can provably copy like the neural pathway. I mean, we're not yet, but like <laughs> we could provably do you that. But there, <laughs> there you go. But there isn't provably a human soul that we've found yet that I know of. Yeah. And uh, so you might be wondering why would this thing want to torture us? Is it an evil AI? And uh, the one of the interesting twists to this is that it could actually be an otherwise benevolent AI. That the AI, in fact, is blackmailing people so it can exist sooner, so it can help humans faster. Yes. And so it could almost be a, a, from the AI's perspective, a rational choice to threaten torture. <laughs> because then it can end disease even sooner for humanity or whatever else it's going to magically fix. Right. And th- this is, they have to define so many things that you would think are intuitively defined, <laughs> like friendly. Because the AI would be this, this fictional AI would be so far beyond us as humans that it, not, it being unfriendly might just mean it doesn't even recognize us as yeah, like it's just ignoring yeah, us as like beings th- worth saving. Not it's not maliciously killing us. It might just be like plants are great. Oops, I wiped out humans because I <laughs> optimized for this. <laughs> yeah, you min-maxed for plants over humans. Yeah. Like, you know, which I think some people might. But it, this is like digging down into this whole idea of like, so anyone who even knows, like by reading this article and now by you listening to this podcast, you know Yeah, that you're not liable. The AI yes. will know you knew about this idea. And so exactly. if you don't help it, you're going to be tortured. Sorry. Yeah. It's like you just lost the game. It's exactly <laughs> Yeah, the, that reference is in here several times. And there's this argument for like some people are saying, uh, now that I know that this exists, it's important to me to erase as much information about myself as possible <laughs> so that if I am deemed to have not been aiding the basilisk in coming into existence, that I will not, there won't be enough information to create a duplicate of me to torture. Yeah. Which is getting into tinfoil. Ter- I mean, this whole thing is tinfoil t- territory. But would you say Pascal's wager is tinfoil territory? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty reprehensible. (laughs) So yeah, that's what this has been compared to, like a techno-futurist version of Pascal's Wager, which if you're not familiar with that, it's Pascal's Wager is like, you might as well believe in God, because if you're wrong, then you're just dead. And if you're right, God is some terrible person that likes gamblers, (laughs) that he'll be totally cool with that you are a horrible person, but that you made this wager. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, what do you... What do you think about this? You gonna you gonna donate to no, <laughs> not even a little bit. But it just yeah, it's just that fun can of worms of like 
yeah, like you were saying, there's so many things to even get to the idea of Roko's Basilisk that you have to start defining, like, what is a benevolent AI? What is an, a, an unfriendly AI? doesn't mean it's actively trying to kill us. It might just think we're irrelevant. Right. And I kind of, I liken this to, uh, like, really, really inconsequential forms of life, like individual, like, bacteria. Because, yeah. I mean, like, you think nothing of individual bacteria, but as a whole, like, the Earth needs bacteria to function, but each one is not special. It's completely irrelevant. <laughs> right. Like, But we would never say that about humans. Like, each human, like, has rights and is an individual, but if you get the further away you get from humans, the more you're like, eh. Well, for a lot of humans, the second you get one single step away from humans, it <laughs> apparently doesn't matter what you do to any animal, no matter how much it can suffer. That's true. I would say, in general, most people are probably pl- pro, like, mammals. Yeah. Right? Like, nobody wants As long just- as you don't show me the slaughterhouse where all my burgers come from. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want them to suffer. Yeah. Like, most people don't, like, yeah, I'm going to eat meat. But that doesn't mean I want them to suffer and be tortured, right? Whereas, like, I, I think most people would be like, oh, yeah, I just stepped on a spider. Like, huh. It's more like, I saw a spider. The and rest of my life is I can't do anything until it's dead. Right. There's one. Kill it. Kill it with fire. Torture it to death. Yeah, that's, uh, that's sad. I think one of the things that I, I found surprising about this was, like, the meta stuff surrounding this entire discussion which is this idea i guess was first made popular on uh the less wrong forum so less wrong is like this organization that's doing research into like ai and and other philosophy psychology computery stuff um if anybody out there works for them is listening to this that i'm sorry for that like gross oversimplification (laughs) um but apparently the discussion of the basilisk has actually been banned completely on their forums. <laughs> like they will actually go through and delete anything talking about it. Is that like Ron Paul campaign <laughs> to them? Like I don't is it that level of memedom or something? Yeah, they just they don't they don't want to entertain it for whatever reason. I'm sure there's lots of like some people support it, some people don't. It was becoming a problem yeah. and discussions were getting derailed, but of course, there's the Streisand effect, and now yeah. <laughs> not only do people go find, excuse me, go find other places to discuss it, but now they're specifically discussing not being allowed to discuss it in this other place, <laughs> calling way more attention to it. So, I mean, you can't you can't censor the internet. You just you really can't. Is the AI going to be especially angry with less wrong for trying to censor what discussion of it? Yes, that's probably part of the wait unless. The AI knows that the people who were censoring it on Less Wrong did it because of the Streisand effect, and he sees it, he, it, sees it as actually helping by getting That's more true. people to pay attention. We're, oh, we're just, we're all doomed. We're doomed. This is the kind of, it's one of those sticky topics that it almost grows like a cancer, like whether it's good or not, like the discussion of it, like I can almost see why as a forum owner, you're like, ah, oh, I just want to stop it, but then it's just going to blow up even more. Yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to live in a time when I can talk about mithril watch bands and future AIs that torture humanity. Because not that long ago, it would have been like, we can't talk about mithril watch bands. I have to go tend to the fields. Yeah. But now I can sit around and talk about mithril. <laughs> 
So speaking of AI, there's this thing called the grid that I want you to explain. <laughs> so we, I'm, I'm going to link to the, the webpage with their video in the show notes that you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 62. And uh, one side note before I get to anything else, the guy who does the voiceover for this video is the same guy who does the video for Slack and who did the video for Coin and who does like basically every other the startup sandwich video. Guy. Yeah, that's the name of their company is I think Sandwich Video or Sandwich Promotions or something. And he just, he's so trustworthy. Yeah. Like he's, he just seems so like delightful and calm. You're just like, yeah, I'll buy your product. I don't even care what it is. Which, I mean, you'll get into what this product is, which is what you want when you're introducing something as hard to believe as what this product is. Right, because this sounds like a magical unicorn. So this magical unicorn that they're selling is AI dri- oh god it's the basilisk it's, it's, <laughs> it's AI driven web design so you throw content at this piece of software and then you tell it what you're trying to accomplish like do I want to increase sales do I want to get email signups do I want to uh, focus on people reading my content? Like whatever it is, you know, there's I'm sure a list of of predefined actions, and then it makes a website. And this is not because I, I mean, like the Squarespace in, interface is probably the best WYSIWYG kind of thing I've yeah. ever seen. And this is like even a step beyond that. This is like you have no say in the design. You just tell us what you're trying to do. And then we're just going to do it us. for you. <laughs> yeah. And it's not people who are smart with design. It's all like algorithmically driven to the point where as you add more stuff, it actually is like, oh, now I'm going to emphasize this photo instead of that other one because this photo has algorithmically better composition. And maybe it's like doing A-B testing on your behalf or something. It could be doing all kinds of these things, all sorts of like marketing, SEO, depending on what your objective is that you tell it. And when I think... This video was either released on April 1st or right near April 1st. And when I first saw it, I was like, this this is fake. This has to be fake. Yeah. And then it turned out it's not. <laughs> like Someone's really going to try and do this or is already doing this. It, it reminds me of one of the non-movie iRobot stories that was kind of centering on computers controlling agriculture and economies and kind of managing these very, very complex systems. And it's like, yeah, we don't need Alan Greenspan or Ben Bernanke or anyone like that like actively making decisions about interest rates. It's like, well, eventually won't an AI just be like, oh, we'll get 3 million more new homeowners in responsibly financed homes if we do this. Right. <laughs> well, this is... Uh I don't think a lot of people realize, and I do not fully understand the ramifications of <laughs> how much stock trading is actually done by computers. And when I say how much, I yeah, think it's like, like millions most of, it. of transitions, like yeah. transactions a second or a minute or whatever. Yeah, way, way faster than a human could ever make these decisions and with access to more information than one human could ever hope to have. And the thing that's interesting is it does a really, really good stable job, except every once in a while, just like a human would stumble, it will do a weird flub where it panics and sells a bunch or it panics and buys a bunch. <laughs> and you can see instances of this where like this happened to Yahoo, I think uh, just last year, the year before it was, it was fairly recent. And uh, so it's like, you can see their stock price. It's let's say it was a hundred dollars. It's like ticking along at like a hundred, 101, 99, like just kind of hovering in that area. 
And then at like 3 p.m., something happened. Stock price plummets to like $9 for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And then everybody got their head back in the game and like, <laughs> and it pops back up. But the thing is, if you just happen to click buy when it, you know, you just happen to be sitting at your computer during that 30 second window and you click buy on like a thousand dollars worth of stock at $10 a share when it should have been a hundred dollars yeah. a share. Like how much wealth just traded hands? Yeah. Just for no reason. <laughs> like nothing actually happened. The company didn't become more valuable. Yeah. Like nothing happened. And someone suddenly just made tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't know if there's any proven instances of that happening because it's not predictable. Yeah. You just have to be sitting there waiting for it to happen. But if it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen eventually, especially as these things become more well-known. Yeah, Someone will just dedicate their life to sitting there or they'll write a program that's like checking every hundredth yeah, of a second. Yeah, it's like if this is ever this cheap, immediately invest. Or- yeah. Well, I'm thinking like if it's ever suddenly a fraction of the value, you know? Yeah, and and, then, and there's you know given these other factors, this right. seems odd. Yeah, and th- I mean this is where like I clearly do not understand global finance because there's the part of me that's like, well, there's a million dollars in the whole economy, and suddenly there's a million and a hundred thousand dollars. Where did that hundred thousand dollars? Like I, yeah. I literally do not understand this. Isn't there that like? And I'm not smart enough about economics to properly <laughs> set this up. But there's like the guy goes in to a community and like this guy owes the bank money and the bank owes that guy money and then this yeah that, I mean, that it, guy owes someone else money. It's just and all the, on paper. And the guy just walks around the this community and pays everyone who owes the other person and it's like zero money entered the system or left the system and now no one owes anyone money and it's like wait yeah what happened this is what i I clearly do not understand this which is why i try not to begrudge policymakers too much because i'm like well i don't know yeah (laughs) so either i'm an idiot or it's more complicated than i think and in either event i don't have the the resources (laughs) to make the decision but this this grid thing like i mean i'm not not really a designer, but I I recognize good design when I see it. You know, you, you've got a pretty good design eye. Like, what do you do? You want this kind of thing to be outsourced? Do you think it even can? Like, are all these websites just going to look identical and be terrible? I, it's hard to say since they haven't really launched yet. They're just taking pre-orders. Well, I mean, think. Let's think about it, kind of from an earlier iteration. Like, did it bother you when there was a time when every website just had the default WordPress theme and then later every website just had the default ghost theme (laughs) Um, I see them as stepping stones because it's like before WordPress websites just looked awful and were hard to read and they didn't have RSS and Space Jam website was amazing (laughs) and you know didn't like these things that at least a WordPress theme can be accessible by design from the outset. And so you have this, all these benefits to being a functioning website that is, you know, semantically reasonably correct and, um, separates things into articles and archives. And like, we, we got a lot for the uniformity. That's and true. then, then, you know, as WordPress grows, it gets easier to like point and click and change your theme. And then, we have plenty of diversity now, unless you're Clay Shirky and you still you still use whatever <laughs> yeah, like the WordPress two five theme yeah. or whatever from like 2011. Um, eh. 
but you know, content is king, Mike. <laughs> so what do you, medium but, is the message though. <laughs> Ooh, battle of the, of the cliches. So, but what do you think about this from like an artist, a human artist's point of view? Like, do you, do you think that music written by a computer is, can be as good as the best music written by a human? There's so much subjectivity to unpack there of like what is the best music. Yeah. So maybe that's the problem. <laughs> what is. does the music mean to you? Yeah. Um, I'm sure a computer could write music that I encounter in a very meaningful time of my life, whether it's great or awful or <laughs> I'm a teenager or whatever. And then I would just have strong feelings associated with that music and it wouldn't matter that a computer wrote it. It would just be, oh, that happened in my life at this time. Yeah. Um, there's so much culture to what makes music <laughs> music or any art that it the authorship is just one tiny piece. And it's, I mean, it's often, I mean, you know, this happens in film. It's like the director, you know, Scorsese made Gangs of New York or whatever. Right, not the actors or the writers. I'm like, yeah, 300 people at least made that movie. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not saying he's unimportant, he's crucial, but at the same time, it's 300 people collaborating. Not every single best boy in Key Grip was as necessary, but everybody made it and so with a computer someone wrote the algorithm or the ai or whatever or you know there's always going to be some cascading distributed authorship yeah beyond the code itself and even if we get a self-improving ai it's still like well it still kind of came from humans who came from right it just kind of disappears and and even like with an author and we're you know that we're gonna get way into the weeds here (laughs) it's like well but then the author is also very much a product of their times and their experiences and their their worldview shaped by everything that happened to them and yeah they're still important to making the writing happen but the it's almost the entire you know you invent the the universe yeah. so basically to get the, the novel the universe has to be the like <laughs> ultimate author writer producer on just everything <laughs> pretty much i wouldn't have been able to do this without physics we're, we're just remixing what the universe already put into motion but <laughs> it's deep man very t- very I'll, deep i want a t-shirt so i'm not i'm not opposed i mean we got into this a little bit on the the most recent bits and pieces i think it's episode 9 or 10 um, where we talked about because there are people working on software-driven music, and they, you know, there's it wasn't a TED talk, but it was a similar kind of presentation of like, you know, about ten minutes of world-changing um, demonstration. And I forget the name of the guy, but I it's could always it we're going to change the world. But okay, bye now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this this guy it was clearly an interpreted language, but he was typing source code, and then the music would be generated. And he would pull in these different elements, and then he'd delete code, and that part would drop out. But the oh, so it's happening. But like, the in music real time. engine would like tastefully f- like fade it out and find a way to trickle it down. Neat. And it was just like it sounded really gorgeous. And yeah, and I'm, we don't have to go too deep into uh, to the argument of of music, like what constitutes an instrument. But I would say to me that just constitutes a new kind of instrument, just like the way a piano is designed so that the sound fades out over like a sustained period or you have damper pedal so that it stops almost immediately and you can go real staccato right so that's like if you do that with a computer where it fades out or it stops like suddenly or you're you're deciding how the sound is going to start or stop like that's just another instrument and we have the same 
like people that want to be naysayers about like no you got to use a real instrument um like are they just deliberately forgetting the entire you know centuries of inventing instruments that have come before us and suddenly this invention doesn't count yes anything that existed when you were born is the way it's always been (laughs) forever and is canonically acceptably great yes Well, this, so there, I, the foundation books, were those written in like the 60s? Foundation. Maybe. And so just Earth. Asimov is all over this, huh? He is. So uh, let's see. Foundation and Earth. Oh, 86. Wow. I, okay. Anyway, so Foundation and Earth was the last book in the series um, before he died, which bums me out because it ends on a massive cliffhanger, and I wish he had just lived for 100 more years and written 30 more books. Um but there's a, a scene where they're on basically planet Hawaii where it's like almost all oceans and these few very small islands and the space traveling people who are visiting planet Hawaii, the, the planet Hawaiians, they're not spacefaring. Like they have some technology like modern lights and some modern medicine stuff. But in general, like they fish and they like f- do a little bit of farming and they're very not super society of the future. Yeah, they're not interstellar. Exactly. So – they say like, oh, we're going to have like throw a feast for you spacefarer people because they know what spacefaring is. They just don't do it. So they're like, we're going to throw a feast and we're going to like play music for you. And the main character says like in his little internal dialogue, he's like, oh, they're going to like hit animal skins with sticks and they're going to like strum strings that are attached to a box like this is going to sound like crap. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just like really down on it. And he specifically says it can never have the enjoyable precision of computer generated music. Yeah. <laughs> and now he doesn't say computer generated music, like the instruments are digital versus it was written by a computer, but he's basically saying like humans playing wood instruments cannot possibly be satisfying. And then, uh, there's like this one little girl that's like this amazing virtuoso and she plays and he's just like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. totally. Cause he's never heard this kind of music. Like, yeah. he's literally never heard non digital music. And, uh, he's just like completely blown away by it. And it, there's always that, that part of me that starts to like, uh, second guess like the author. Like, so did Asimov think that digital instruments would never be as good as real instruments? And that's why he wrote this right. into the story. Like, is this, the author coming through in the character. Maybe he was just enjoying the reversal of like skepticism retroactively instead of right. against the new thing. It's a yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely that. It's definitely from the opposite point of view because I mean, I think the Foundation series is like thirty thousand years into our future or twenty thousand, like way, way far. Yeah. No one remembers a time before the Galactic Empire, um, which is the whole point of the series. No one expects the Inquisition. <laughs> But yeah, I just, I always, whenever someone talks about digital music, that always pops up in my head because I've read this series like a half a dozen times. And I always think, like, will there come, because I love digital music. Most of the music I listen to is digital music, you know, created by people, but on Nintendos and modern computers and things. And I just always wonder, like, am I slowly, like, losing my respect for (laughs) a guy playing a guitar or a woman sitting at a piano? Maybe, maybe a little bit. I don't know. I want to try the grid, but I don't want to pay $8 a month for it. That's that's really the salient point here. <laughs> I need a free two-week trial. Yeah. So if you're listening, sandwich guy, talk to your friends at the grid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I added in an unnecessary middleman there, but <laughs> he just feels so trustworthy. Oh, man, I just trust him. I do. <laughs> so 
MichaelEdwards.sucks. Has anyone bought this domain? No, or pseudomichael.sucks. Pseudomichael.sucks. <laughs> she, that you need to jump on. <laughs> so what do you... Well, here, let me explain. So uh, if you're not familiar with what a top-level domain is, a top-level domain is the .com, the .net, the .org, the .co.uk, that part, right? So google.com, there's the domain Google, and then the top-level part is the .com. And uh, recently, I don't know, was it in 2013? They released, they like open the floodgates. The the organization that controls all this, the ICANN, they said, <laughs> what if you could just have dot basically whatever? And they just completely open the floodgates and now you can buy pretty much any word you want. Can you get dot super califragilisticexpialidocious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, what I want is to buy dot califragilisticexpialidocious so I can buy super dot califragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> so that's just gonna, there's gonna be infinitely confusing where do you put the periods yes. happening. Yes, absolutely. And the ones who abuse it too much just won't be successful because you can tell like, Every, but then, like, if you're trying to secure your domain, are you going to buy every period spot? I hope not. I'm not, because it costs fortune. But you know, I want mus.ic, but then I want mu.sic, and I want uh, m.usic. Well, but remember, like, every little web 2.5 company that started, like, dropping vowels and stuff, they all bought... I don't think Twitter did this, but I'm just going to Do you think them. that would have happened if there wasn't a domain scarcity? No, but what I'm getting at is this, like uh, a lot of them bought like, like twit.er, right? Yeah. But then once they had money, they got twitter.com, Yeah. right? Like nobody actually wants the clever name because the cleverness is not disseminated into society. Tables.podcast. Exactly. <laughs> like people don't yet understand that. So it they, still looks weird to me. I know it's it arbitrary, but it just feels weird. It's not intuitive. It's not sandwich guy. I don't <laughs> trust it. <laughs> but I mean, this is, yeah, because we accept com, net, org, co, UK, ka, I guess if you're Canadian. <laughs> is it, it's dot ca, isn't it? Or is it dot co dot ca? Probably. I don't, I don't go maybe. to a lot of Canadian websites. Um, maybe I should. <laughs> I think Russia has dot ru. And then there's like all the clever ones, like, TV, like a lot of video themed websites will use yeah. like dot TV, but that's actually for a country. And dot FM, which we looked into, but didn't want to pay a hundred dollars a year for a dot FM. Right. And this circles us back to the crux of this. Some of these dot top level domains that they released, like dot sucks or dot shit or dot <laughs> crap, like these cost thousands of dollars, not tens, not hundreds, thousands of dollars. So if you're a big company like, say, Adobe, do you want to buy Adobe.sucks, Adobe.isCrap, AdobePhotoshop.sucks? Yeah. But yeah, every single one of your products. and Yeah, Photoshop.sucks, Dreamweaver.sucks, like Flash.sucks. Someone should buy that. So like, are you going to defensively buy all these? And now the argument is becoming, did the ICANN release all of these so major corporations would have to defensively buy incredibly expensive domains? Yeah. And some people are like, yes, of course they did. Why else would they have done this? Yeah. So like I, Adobe actually, some, someone from their company, there's a, an NPR article we'll link to in the show notes, but uh, someone from Adobe officially said like, we're not going to do this. Yeah, we have the money. We're not going to do this. We're not going to defensively buy yeah, TLD. We're just opting out of this game from the outset. Yeah. And, and their response, which this, cause I like uh, some Adobe products, like Photoshop's awesome. You know, in design and fireworks and all that stuff, that's fine. 
just Flash and, and Adobe Reader have to go. Yeah. Um, but their creative suite stuff is good. And uh, they said, like, you know, the easiest way to not have to worry about this is by having a product that doesn't suck. Wouldn't that be clever? Like, yeah. Then if somebody buys Photoshop, that sucks. That won't be it, the prevailing opinion. It won't have any credibility. Exactly. Because the prevailing opinion will be that it's good. And I've seen the way, like, if you have a good product, your user base will defend you. They'll just be like, oh, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're claiming this sucks and you're just an idiot. Is that the, the like, raving fans kind of theory? Like, you have to make your customers love you so much that they do all your marketing for yeah. you? And you can just be like, we love our customers, but you don't, you know, like, you don't have to endorse their raving lunacy. Right. You're just happy for the benefits. Yeah. Wait, I think Apple's pretty good at that. Like they, I don't think they ever openly say like, our fans are the craziest fans. There was, and if you argue with them, they will cut you. I will have to find, cause I more did like a long article about how Apple interacts with their adoring press and blogosphere and just kind of, there are some interesting ways that they'll like toss little bones of like, you know, some dubious Android security story will get out and they'll, they won't say like, Hey, blog about this and make Android look bad, but they'll kind of be like, huh, stay safe out there. <laughs> and then hint, nudge, nudge, but not telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah. That, but I mean, that's, that seems a little underhanded when directly examined, but the alternative would be what for them to, have a direct hand in it yeah be like yeah yeah they suck they they suck so much i mean that sounds like you know whether you hate them or love them the the job of pr would be like yeah you want your your competitors stink story to be headlines and yeah totally <laughs> so you're gonna are there any tlds that interest you because i've seen like dot ninja and dot pirate and dot <laughs> You know, all kinds of like dot games and dot photo and dot music. Like, I would just want absurd combinations for pseudo book story reasons. Like, <laughs> we have my brother wrote a story called Glitches and Percy, which uh, you can get on the pseudo book in the iBook store. Um, there you go. Anyway, um, he orders a belt with cheese, so I would get belt dot cheese or. <laughs> Um, we, we joke about, so like there's a total non sequitur store that sells brake pads, unicycles, and eye patches. <laughs> so, I don't know what I get brake pads dot eye patches or something. Uh, maybe brake pads, unicycles, eye patches dot store. <laughs> I don't know. You got a lot of options. Yeah. That's I, for sure. I think the, the, it'll, it'll be fun to see absurdly long ones. <laughs> it's yeah. already funny to see absurdly long, uh, subdomain names. <laughs> See, something being at the beginning always annoys me. I think we've talked about this before. Like I want google.com slash contacts, not contacts.google.com. Yeah. And there I'll admit, like I've flip flopped on this. There was a time when I was like, no subdomains are the way because that's like, it's cooler and it's before the dot com. And then once I actually thought about it, I was like, no, it's confusing and backwards and stupid. Yeah. Blog dot lions and beta dot com. Exactly. No, lions and beta dot com slash blog is the way it should be. Yeah. I I mean for just obvious to one reasons. consistent universe and then the more specific content at the end. Right. Just like the index isn't the last thing in the book. Or the table of contents yeah. isn't the last thing in the book, but it's the first thing. Don't talk about American date order though, because I write mine uh, ISO style. Do you do year, month, day? I do year, month, day. Four-digit year, two-digit month, two-digit day, always. And I've actually gotten in trouble for it because I've signed legal documents where the other, like the 
say the bank or whatever, they signed it and they, of course, wrote their date in the American style and then they made me rewrite it. Yeah. They're like, no, you have to write your date so that it matches. And I was like, it's the same date. I just wrote it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) You're really going to make me like scribble this out and then initial my change? And they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. That's exactly (laughs) what we're going to make you do. Which is just confusing to me. You got that right, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, it's like, yeah, it'd be one thing if I wrote it in different units. Like if I wrote the temperature in Celsius and you wrote it in Fahrenheit. Well, I'm using a Chinese calendar. Right. Yeah, that would be confusing. But to just write the year, month, and day in a different order, in an order that's way more obvious and universally understood. (laughs) It's like, are you only sending this document to English-speaking people raised in America that only ever write their date in this stupid day, month, day, year format? The only other date style I'll accept is the month written out. Yeah. And then numbers and then the year. Because that's also not ambiguous. Yeah. Like it's exactly clear what you mean. You dot suck dot at dates dot com. <laughs> I think that's all our topics. You got anything else? No, nah, you know what? Fires brewing. I have one other thing that I just wanted to mention to you. Have you played New Yoshi or Yoshi's New Island or uh, islandnew.yoshi.com, whatever the hell it is. I not not the th- is that a 3ds one? It is a 3ds one. No, I have not played it yet. Okay, I'll have to let you borrow it if you like the old one. I do. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll let you borrow it and and you'll have to tell me what you think. So I I started playing it. I had I did some traveling this weekend, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna be on the plane and on a bus, and so I'll I'll listen uh, with nice headphones and I'll have the immersive experience. Fortunately, the game does not need 3D because, you know, a plane and a bus, not perfectly stable, yeah. smooth devices all the time. So I'm uh, I'm playing and there's no bass in any of the music. I don't know if it's my headphones really? or what, but it's everything is this high-pitched, grating, whiny. <laughs> and it's like in the the Super Nintendo version, it was like very fanciful, like – kind of almost childish sounding music like a lot of xylophone harmonica kind of like penny whistle sort of noises but then there was also like a bass track to like level it out Mm -hmm. and in this new one exactly and i don't hear any of that on the 3ds one and it's like it was starting to get to me and it wasn't like oh i didn't plug my headphones in all the way or something i mean they're really the headphones i was using are really crappy headphones but I mean, it would be one thing if the bass felt underpowered. It felt absent, like totally absent. Wow. Every sound effect, every musical note was just like, <laughs> like oh my god. So I'll have to, you'll have to play it because maybe the game, that's the immersive experience they wanted. That's the thing is I was like, it certainly matches the like childish art style and like the crayony simple. I mean, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's exactly like the old one. So I mean, if you like the old one, it's more of the same. Yeah, very Nintendo, but. I'll be interested to hear your take on the music. Maybe I should play with these headphones. (laughs) Be like, oh, now I'm getting it. Well, I just picked up the DS one. They released in Yoshi's New Island. Oh, did they? On Wii U, you can play the dual screen TV Wii U, which doesn't work well in that game because it's literally two connected screens. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So they're just. You actually want them co located, but. Yeah. So is, does it show up on the tablet? So you have, they introduced all the, this was a recent Nintendo Direct, so all these different choices. So you can have both screens show up on the tablet, or you can have the tablet be the bottom screen and the TV be the other screen. Right. Or there's all sorts of other variations where like, well, I want the bottom screen to be the big one and the other one to be tiny mm. to like have a better view of one of the screens. Yeah. 
and I don't think I'm happy with any of the options. I just and yeah. they didn't release it on the 3DS, where it makes sense to be a digital download. Of course, it. I guess <laughs> because Nintendo for for a game like Yoshi's Island, it would make sense to do game on the TV and then second screen on the tablet because you almost never look at second screen. Yeah, all that's down there is like how many coins you've collected and how many stars you have. Yeah, but, but for a game where there's like information down there, you need to know. It would be the, really annoying to like keep craning your neck. Yeah, and the DS one, it's it's very much both screens have important information. Like it's the map scrolls on both screens. Yeah, so you need and, to see it, and you see things on the other screen, like things are falling or something, and it's like ah, I need that peripheral. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Come on, Yoshi's Island, get your head in the game. <laughs> so you'll have to, I'm going to force you to play at least a little of it, just so you can tell uh, me if I'm crazy about the music. <laughs> All right, put a bow on it? Yeah, take us out. All right, so you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 62, which is another, sat- all the numbers are satisfying, but I like even numbers. Um, Mike and I both love feedback. You can reach out to us on Twitter most easily. I'm at Lions in Beta on Twitter, and Mike is at Medwards Music. And if you love the show and you want to make sure you never miss an episode, the easiest thing you can do is subscribe. You can subscribe in iTunes. You can subscribe with RSS or Feedly or your favorite podcatcher on Android. I use Pocket Casts. Uh, Mike, I think you use Overcast still, right? Yep. Um, and if you're going to go into iTunes for any reason, you might want to go ahead and just leave us a rating and a review because that'll help other people find the show. And we appreciate every single one of those ratings and reviews. And uh, if you want to support us directly, we do have a Patreon. You can find it patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on your reward level, you might even get a, a little shout out at the end of the show. So here's some shout outs to our Ultra Diamond Gold Platinum Level supporters, uh, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, and Sean Byrne. We appreciate you guys very much, and we appreciate all our supporters very much. And uh, we'll see you next week. 